Welcome to ATBS The Podcast. It's Jeff, and I am so pleased you've chosen to tune in. My guest today returns for her second ATBS episode. Her first was episode number six, The Seven Pillars of Peak Performance. I highly recommend checking that one out. Since then, Shannon and her family have embarked on a new adventure, a new life. They purchased 220 acres in Montana and are in the process of designing and implementing a sustainable, regenerative, eco-friendly farm. Shannon Doliak joins me today to shed some light on how and why they have chosen this path. Let's check in with Farmer Shannon. Shannon, welcome back to ATBS, the podcast, how things have changed. Yes, I'm excited (laughs) to be back and have uh, all kinds of new things to talk about. We sure do. We sure do. I went back just a few minutes ago and I looked, we recorded a while ago and I went back to confirm. So our first recording, our first episode was episode number six of ATBS, the podcast. It came out in the first batch of eight episodes, but it was the sixth one. I think the sixth one that I recorded and um, the first batch of episodes dropped on June 15th. So here we are in mid-February. And there, I think there are, as of today, 42 ATBS podcast episodes out in the world. Wow. And yeah, really psyched. We've covered a lot of ground. We've done a lot of really cool things and talked to a bunch of great people. And, you know, when you and I recorded, even though that, that episode was released on June 15th, I mean, we recorded, it was still winter last winter. Um, Yes. It was... I think it was, I think it must have been in February or something. I think uh, you're right. Just about a year ago. So both of our lives have changed pretty dramatically in that year. And that's partly why we're here. Episode number six was the seven pillars of peak performance, integrating all of all the aspects of wellness into peak performance in life. Fast forward a little ways, and I know a little bit of the story, but why don't we share with the listeners a little bit about the changes that have occurred in your life with your family. Sure. You know, as with all of us, the pandemic hit back last winter. So that was just after we probably recorded the first episode that you interviewed me on. And, you know, since that time, we had a lot of stillness, a lot of downtime to reflect and to think about how we were living as a family what our longer term goals were and you know just really dig into what are we trying to get out of this time that we have here and through that reflection we basically my husband and I looked at each other i would say it was maybe early summer possibly late spring and decided that we could be flexible and free and that we didn't have to be, I'm going to use the word stuck, stuck where we were, but that we wanted to be part of what we looked at as maybe a better solution to health for our species and for the planet. And we had the opportunity to pick up where we were at and go somewhere else. And so we decided that was the next path. That was the next step in our journey. And we chose Montana for a couple of reasons. Um, We have family that is here in the Bitterroot Valley, 
So it's the Western part of central Montana. And we'd stopped and visited family in this area for many years as we, as we've done many road trips through, um, and were comfortable with the area and also had really great support for taking on a new lifestyle, which includes homesteading and farming. And while we were taking some trips over the summer to our family cabin up in Washington, we decided that we would kind of poke around and look for um, real estate in the valley, in the Bitterroot Valley. And sure enough, we found some farmland that really resonated with us. And we just decided to go for it. So the Doliacs have a bit of a reputation for once we get a little bee in our bonnet, we usually act on it. And, you know, this was no different. We decided to dive in and purchase this farmland and pack up the family and head north. (laughs) I had a conversation with your husband, Mike, somewhere along the way. He said, hey, Jeff, I think I heard that you sold your house. We're thinking about doing the same thing. And I think that was the first indication that I got that, oh, wow, the Doliacs are on the move. Yeah, the timing was right for that as well, because I think a lot of people are looking for a new way or a new place to restart and regroup. And so, you know, there was an influx into Park City. And we also were able to kind of take advantage of that and and things moved very fast. So we didn't have a lot of time to question ourselves. um, but, But really, we didn't need to. We both felt really confident and really comfortable in our decision. And honestly haven't looked back. Yeah, there's not much reason to look back, is there? No. If we can avoid it. Doesn't we can't do much about it. No. So um okay, so great. That lays the groundwork from okay, we lived we basically lived across the street from each other for 10 years. And now we don't live anywhere near each other and we've both uprooted. So thank you for the bringing us up to speed on where you are and ballpark what you're doing. I guess through a couple of conversations that I had with you and with Mike along the way, I was aware that you were taking courses in permaculture. I imagine some other things as well. I know that during your time there out off of Old Ranch Road in Park City, you you had gardens and and you know were were growing some of your own food and spent time over at Copper Moose Farms and all those things. Um, but then, okay, now you've got you got to map it out and figure it out. And so how's that going? Yeah. Like you said, we were on about an acre and a third in Park City. And we tried to start making the best of that with some edible landscaping and a small backyard garden and, you know, dealing with the challenges of um, a climate that doesn't allow for a long growing season, but, you know, trying to, to do what we could. And we're now on about 230 acres. (laughs) it's overwhelming in many ways, as you can imagine. It's also extremely exciting in many ways. Um, Dreaming of the potential and the possibility has been really fun for both Mike and I. And the permaculture class that we dove into, it actually just wrapped up this week. And it it came at a perfect time. We began it while we were still living in Park City. And it allowed us to use our land our project as a capstone project for the course. And so we had a small team of other students that were helping us to design a conceptual idea for um, this property that we're on now. 
utilizing permaculture principles. So our long-term vision is really to create a resilient and regenerative farm that serves as a model for others. And it's centered on reconnecting and um, re-engaging with community and natural systems. And so using permaculture, um, basically, you know, looking at how natural systems work, how nature does things on her own, and trying to apply those to producing food, to growing community, to growing more diversity on many different levels is what we were trying to dive into. So with this course, we decided to take a 12-acre section of our property of this 230 acres and really plan that out. A lot of that is what you know we will probably end up doing as we start to implement these concepts that we've created. So it's been about a lot of observation first. So number one rule in permaculture is take the time to observe. Take the time to understand the land, to understand the history, to just watch and see what nature's doing. What is the wildlife doing? What are the sun patterns? What is the weather pattern? What's the climate like and what naturally grows around you? So we're trying to balance time for observation and then also time for planning without getting too ahead of ourselves. So as you can imagine, we're excited to dig in, but we want to make sure that when we do dig in, that the choices that we make are the best choices we can make in that moment. That's quite a balancing act, right? Because the enthusiasm, I imagine, like you said, you know, you want to dig in, you want to dive in, you want to get going and you have to put the brakes on and, and know what's happening and, and understand where you are and how it works, right? Yeah, Exactly. We've been here three months now. I think tomorrow marks the three-month day, and it feels like we've been here for six months already because I do feel like we've already learned so much, we've observed so much, and we're taking on you know, as much as we can handle at this point. And it is a balancing act, and I think it applies to life wherever you are. And I think that it's been really good for Mike and I, who tend to be more go-getters, and attack our goals and remind us that it's also important to sit back and reflect and sit back and just observe the world around us. I think that many of us have gotten caught up in the in the rat race of today. And that's what, you know, one of our main goals is, is to slow down and remember that we are, we're part of nature, we're part of the system. And so how can we work with it rather than trying to control it. But so well said. And, and also you've been there for three months and you've been there kind of the depth of winter and you know, winter when we start talking about what's happening in the natural world and what are other species doing, you know, it is a time of hibernation, right? It's a quiet time. You know, it's not the busiest time of, of the, the 12 month cycle. Yeah, exactly right. And we've been grateful for that too. The timing worked out really well for us because we didn't move here in April or May and feeling the pressure to produce something right away. And so that's been a blessing as well to be able to, you know, sit back a little bit, do a lot of extra reading, getting outside and doing that observing. And yeah, we're just, we're grateful for the timing. It also, we are homeschooling 
And that's been a shift for us as well. We had our kids in public school until um, the end of last school year. And then before we actually decided to move to Montana, we decided that we were going to take this year and homeschool with our own curriculum, well, with a private curriculum based out of Vermont. That also gave us some flexibility. But what's been really neat is that we've been setting up our own schedule based on sunrise and sunset with the kids and with ourselves, trying to make choices like that that are naturally opening up our eyes to natural patterns and natural systems. And winter's been, it's been kind of a neat uh, eye-opening experience. Even just with, with that, we try and get up a half an hour before sunrise and we try and have most of our work done before sunset. And that changes every day. So it's been just a cool experience to basically reconnect again. We can learn a lot by sitting and, and observing nature. Everybody has that opportunity. Not a, and you you make it clear. You've made it clear. Like not everybody has the opportunity to you know pull up and and move to you know someplace like Montana. And and hopefully not everybody does, right? So, but doesn't matter where we are. We can all and each take the time to sit and observe and connect to the natural world and the natural cycles that are happening around us all the time. It's so easy to get unplugged. We plug in and, and that's all another, we'll get into that whole conversation about social media, but you know, we think we're plugged in and we're actually unplugged from the natural world and getting connected. The benefits are, you know, un unimaginable, I suspect, right? Like I know what they are for me when I do it. And you're working on an entire lifestyle shift that will revolve around that. Yeah. And to your point, you know, wherever anybody is at, I think using the word homesteading or farmsteading or um, getting back to our roots, I think a lot of it is much less about where you are. It's much more of a mental shift from consumer focused lifestyle to more of a creative lifestyle or creation. It's more about, you know, like we were saying, not powering over Mother Earth, but reconnecting to Mother Earth or to nature. So there are many things that we're doing here that people can do on a different scale wherever they're at, which is really neat. And do you think that, is there a way, can you see a path down the line where you're able to share what you're learning with others who won't necessarily go out and be, you know, on a big farmstead, but that they can benefit from what you're learning where you are? Or is that is that in your plans at all or not? Yeah. I mean, a big part of our plans is to be a model for others in a variety of ways. And we would love to, one, have more of a, a micro community right here around us in Montana for those that are able to come and work with us to create our vision and create this, you know, little temperate climate oasis that we're picturing. Um, but you know, for those that can't, it's a learning and education opportunity in many ways. So down the road, we would love to provide workshops and retreats and courses and camps and, you know, various opportunities for people to come and just experience what we're doing. And then also share with others what they can do in their own space, in their own world, wherever they're at. And we're doing this for our family, for sure. But we're doing this beyond that. It is because we feel like we want to be a bigger part of the solution. We want to set 
the tone. We want to help encourage other people to make shifts that are ultimately going to be better for our planet and better for our species. You know, we have a a big mission upon us. And, you know, like you said, not everyone can pack up and and move on to 200 acres. Um, But seeing as we had the opportunity to do that, we felt like it was important for us to go ahead and commit to that and then share and teach and reach out to others. I figured knowing the two of you, I suspected that was the case, which is so nice to hear. I'm curious, with that said, you've said it a couple of times, Mike, in a conversation or two that I had with him, referenced something, you know, like this idea that people could come and plug in and participate. Okay, so this is a very selfish question. (laughs) (laughs) When do I get to come plug in and participate, help, you know, put my shoulder to the wheel and learn, you know, when does that happen? So yeah, that's me. (laughs) I could play the, I could pretend that I'm playing the podcaster, but it's really my own question. <laughs> I love it. Well, um, our one of our very first priorities on the farm, which we've already begun, is recreating and, and building infrastructure to support those that do want to come and participate and take part and learn on whatever scale they can. Um, and so, you know, even, even actually before we're planning in detail the plantings, that are going to take place here. We are mapping out and planning the flow, the the shared community spaces, the the needs that uh, people people have on property. And we know we can't do this by ourselves. And many hands make light work. And so it's a very important priority for us to start establishing the resources that we need on this property to um, help others experience a piece of this and. In doing so, everyone is learning. So we're sharing what we know. We're learning from others with different types of experience. And we're all working under the values that we're establishing on the farm. So we've, in our permaculture course, but you know, also we would have done this anyway, we created a nice set of values and a vision that we're trying to work towards with those values in mind. And then our mission we have set up so that it is basically what we do day in and day out in order to accomplish that vision. And so we're excited to start teaching and sharing what those values are, what the mission is, and really begin educating people as they come to the farm or as they show interest in participating, what that looks like. Hopefully it's motivating to people and exciting for people and we hope to attract those that are ready to get back to their roots a little bit and that are ready to try a new way and are ready to feel, I want to say, a greater sense of fulfillment than many experience in today's world. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, having your values, setting those out and being able to share those, far be it from me to put my 10 cents worth in, but it seems like it's going to help with vetting who comes and who doesn't, right? Like, oh yeah, those are those values are not all that interesting to me. So I don't feel like I want to go there or, oh, those are, you know, there's a certain magnetism to them. I definitely want to plug in and participate and learn and, and be open-minded and curious and, and contribute because I imagine from your life in Park City, there are probably lots of people who are like, let us know. We want to come. 
but the reality is something completely different, right? There's a lot of work and there's a lot of planning and then having the values and your mission is critical to long-term success. Yeah. I think that the values are, you have a vision, you have an idea, you know, Mike and I have our vision, our ideas, and we're super excited about them. And I know that many other people are excited about them and they, they want to experience it as well. And and it is definitely a challenge to figure out how do you find the right fit for people to come here and get the most out of it and for us to utilize people that are excited to help push this vision forward and and see it come to fruition. And I do think that we're on the right track and it brings you back to the basics of how you set goals. Even when I was a young gymnast, it's like, you know, you start by thinking about what are you trying to accomplish in the end? And then you're kind of backtracking and what's most important to you along the way? What are you trying to get out of this experience? Whether it's athletics, whether it's a huge project like growing a farmstead or any other type of goal. And so it's been a great exercise for Mike and I to even just put on paper, what are these values? How are we going to live every day in order to stick with those values? And what does it look like every day? What do we need to get up and attack and try and do in order to someday create this vision that we're picturing? So the exercise has been phenomenal for us. And I think it's going to be extremely valuable as we kind of build our little mini community here um, in the Bitterroot Valley. Yeah, I, I was going to say before you brought up the athletic piece, because for those who don't know, both you and your husband were world-class athletes. And I was thinking that while you were talking about the plan and the values and the, oh, yeah, that sounds very much like, you know, putting together what it's going to take to accomplish my goals athletically. You got to start with the end in mind and then enjoy the process. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Really. You bring up the athletic piece and Mike and I know nothing about farming. I mean, we, like you said, had our little backyard garden and I have a master's degree in nutrition. And so food has been a, a priority of mine and interest of mine from for as long as I can remember, but actually implementing a farming system we have zero experience in. And so one thing that we're doing is really drawing from our success in athletics, looking at, well, what made us successful athletes? Can we bring that over to this new venture of farming? And I think one of the keys to being successful in athletics was just our, our mindset of, you know, if other people can do this, then we can do this too like putting in the work, putting in the dedication, being open-minded, willing to learn, and then rolling up your sleeves and doing the work. I think that made Mike and I both successful in our athletic careers. And so much of that applies to what we're doing now. And it's been fun to kind of, you know, shake off the cobwebs and remember those traits and apply them to a, a new goal. Yeah. And, and how are the boys? Uh, <laughs> how old are Boston and Taylor? So Boston and Taylor are 11 and 12, almost 13. Boston, the younger one, was all in from day one, wanting to make the move, excited for Montana. Um, and Taylor was a little resistant because he was nervous about leaving his buddies and leaving, especially those that his teammates for basketball and baseball. He had a great little group of kids that he loved playing with. 
And I will give him the utmost credit because he realized that he wasn't going to stop us from moving. And so he decided on day one that I'm just going to make the best of it. And both boys have fully embraced this experience. I couldn't be more proud of them. They're adventurous by nature anyway. They're outdoorsmen. And this has been, this has opened up, you know, their little world into a giant playground of exploration. They really are, they're loving it. They've been great helpers. Um, They're learning so much in this process and it's been awesome. I didn't expect, well, I don't know what I expected when I asked the question, but um, sounds very much like the Doliacs to me. <laughs> sounds just about right. Like what kind of what I would expect. Okay. I'm going to make the best of it from the get go. And here we go. That's, that's just great. Thank you for listening to all things big and small ATBS, the podcast. My name is Keith Gorman, good friend of Jeff Vormerix. Jeff's doing some wonderful things. I encourage you to become a patron. Go to atbs.com and click on the patron link. Now back to the program. So far, you know, you've been there for 90 days. Some big challenges so far. Yeah, you know, number the number one that jumps into my mind is there's a rancher that has about 100 head of cattle on our property right now. And he was leasing the property from the previous owner when we bought it. And it was a, a new handshake type lease deal. And so he hadn't been on the property all that long. And so we wanted to try and es- establish a relationship with him to learn from him. Um, and he's grown up in the Spitterroot Valley. He is a wealth of knowledge. He is extremely well connected to the community. And he is such a, a nice guy. And yet his practice has always been conventional ranching and conventional farming. And yet he is very open to alternatives. And so our challenge right now is how can we come in without actual experience under our own belt, but with theories and ideas in mind of how we would like to do things a little bit differently, how we would like to regrow the soil, how we would like to eliminate any spray of herbicides and pesticides and and try and create a no-till farming system. How do we come in and work with this rancher to create something jointly and together? So far, it's going extremely well, but that is something that we are faced with because he needs solutions and we need solutions. We need solutions for a better way of uh, management of the cattle and of the land. And he needs the ideas. Well, what can I actually implement? What can I do different? Because his knowledge is picking up that can of spray and his knowledge is opening up bigger pasture for what ends up potentially being overgrazing and possibly damaging the soil more than we would like. And so we're working hard together to try and figure out different solutions. So that's been certainly a challenge. Other challenges, I would say back to 230 acres feeling overwhelming. 
observing 230 acres, observing the flow of water, observing the, the many ecosystems that are wrapped up within the rolling hills and the natural draws and ravines and the open pasture land, that's challenging to decide where do we want to plant certain things? Where do we want to grow a woodlot? Where do we want to plant a food forest? Where do we want our main annual vegetable garden to be? Learning about the health of the soil. So, you know, I would say just the scope of the project has been another challenge. Those are probably the two biggest. The community has been amazing. We've really um, enjoyed getting to know people in Hamilton. There are a lot of like-minded people, and that's been really encouraging. It's been really amazing to be a part of wildlife observation, to saying rolling up the sleeves and, and getting dirty. But we took on two small breed pigs and 15 chickens about three weeks ago. Now taking care of these little critters in an old makeshift barn for the time being has been awesome. There are challenges there too. You know, you're, you want to make sure that you're keeping these critters alive and that they have all that they need and that you're creating efficient systems so that you're not having to, you know, take too much time out of the day to, to care for them or more time than's necessary. But the fulfillment that we've experienced out of just some of the initial projects that we have tackled on the farm has been amazing. Yeah, I would think the intrinsic rewards that come from taking one's time and observing and caring for land and animal and family and others, said rancher, right? Like talk about connection, getting connected and starting to find, you know, kind of the play one's, I don't know if one's place in the world is the right term, but, you know, where do I fit into this whole ecosystem? What can we do as individuals? What can we do as families? What can we do as communities? It's, you know, wonderful to hear. The ranching thing is is not surprising just, you know, because I think I have preconceived notions about it. And then you just mentioned some of them that, mm-hmm. you know, there's been a certain way of going about things for a long time by certain, you know, certain ways of life, right? That, you know, aren't going to change easily. But it's so cool to hear you say that we both need solutions and we're both willing to work towards them. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, the challenge of what can we do so that we're not even powering over this rancher. And so we're going to be bringing on like a mutual consultant to help guide so that we're learning and he's learning, we're learning together. And, you know, I think that relates to the community on a whole. We don't want to be this family that comes in and is telling everybody else what should be done. And, you know, this is a better way. Well, we see these methods as hopefully more sustainable and a more resilient method for many, many years to come. We want to work with everybody, right? So that is definitely, it's a challenge, but it is exciting because if you go about it in the right way, then you're gathering everybody else's energy. And, you know, we all know we're stronger together. And so if we can be part of a bigger drive, a bigger um, inspiration, then that's what we want. Yeah, we're better together. We're better together. We're better together. And I think that 
you know, uniting, it's too easy. It's, I don't know if it, I don't know if easy is the right word, but it seems too commonplace to be like, well, that's different and we're going to do it differently and we don't see eye to eye. So I guess we'll just keep doing our different stuff or we'll, we'll keep doing things differently. Right. And, and that's a very broad overgeneralization. However, conversely, oh, well, we do want to participate. We want to build community. We want to learn and not present that somehow that we know better, <laughs> that you know, we're open to learning, open to ideas, and yet you're going to stick with your values. You're going to stick with your mission and, and you're, you'll get there. Right. And one of our values is actually celebrating diverse contributions and participation. And this rancher, his level of knowledge, even on our property, on our land is well beyond ours. Like he's grown up in this valley. And so he's familiar with this property, even though he wasn't ranching on it in previous years. And so he's seen it change through the seasons. He's seen it change over the years. He knows what the land has been used for in the past. And without his expertise and these conversations with him, then we're without that information. And that's very valuable information. And he wants to take better care of the earth. He just doesn't know another way yet. And, you know, again, it's like, let's be careful not to turn people away or turn people off just because initially it seems like we have a lot of differences. You know, I think oftentimes underneath there's so much similarity there and we can really benefit from each other. We can all use that lesson. <laughs> we, yes. <laughs> we can all do better at that. That's for sure. Will you be kind enough to restate that particular value? Yes, it falls under our caring for people, but it's celebrating diverse contributions and participation. Celebrating diverse contributions. Seems like we can all use a healthy dose of that. Absolutely. The world in which we live and here we are mid-February, there's a lot going on in the world. The COVID thing is still rolling. We've just come through the election. There's still a lot of divisiveness in this country and let's celebrate diversity and and learn. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, man, if we just kind of peel away a lot of the layers that many of us are carrying around, the superficial layers, there's so much like to celebrate underneath. There's so much commonality. And I, I really believe that you know, the majority of the human species all wants the same thing for each other and ourselves. And that's what would be amazing to be able to get back to is, can we celebrate that? And then, you know, those layers where we have differences, like let's look at those and learn from each other. And I think there's so much more there to work with than against. Yeah, it keeps coming crossing my mind. I couldn't agree more. What keeps crossing my mind is, and, and we read it and we see it and we think about it, that we are so much more alike than we are different mm -hmm. than, you know, the people down the street or the people across the country or the people in another state or in another, another country. We're so much more alike. We all have so many, you know, so many of the same desires and interests and hopes and dreams. And I thought you said that really beautifully. If we, if we can just peel away some of the layers, some of the things that we've just begun to believe or that have been part of our lives for so long that we just, we got to peel those layers off and appreciate what's underneath. I love it.
let's see. Uh, so we've gone through some of the big challenges. And does it feel at all like springtime is maybe looming in your part of the world? Uh, it's a little bizarre. We had a very warm winter until about a week or two ago, maybe two weeks ago now. We were hitting temps in the low 50s right up until a couple weeks ago. And then we had a, a pretty good cold front come through down into some negative numbers and a bunch of snow. So I think in January, we had patches of green grass growing, which I don't think is ideal. I don't think it's, uh, I'm going to use the word normal. Now we have uh, probably at least eight inches of snow out covering the fields. I do think that come March, it's going to start to feel a little bit more like spring. And we're going to be picking up some good energy from that to just get excited about growing, like growth on many levels. Yeah. Yeah. Springtime. I just made a move geographically over the week, over this past weekend. So here we are again, it's mid February on the 13th and 14th of February. All of my listeners know that I've been going through pneumonia for more than seven months now, and it just sucks the energy out of one. And I finally determined, I mean, I decided that I would act on a, an experience that I had, which I would leave the high altitude, cold, dry, thin air, where the air is thicker, more moist, and a little warmer. Yep. And I ended up with an opportunity to come visit some, some friends in the Santa Cruz Mountains in Northern California. You know, it's not warm. It's not summertime warm, but it's not wintertime either, right? So it, it's winter for this part of the world. And I'm walking around the property and they are off the grid. As my friend Glenn says, everything depends on everything. But they're growing all sorts of things, you know, through the winter months. They've got 20 artichoke plants right outside the front door. And the lemon trees are in full, you know, like lemons galore, right? You walk by and you're just like, oh my gosh, that's abundant. So it's fascinating to have extricated myself from Park City, where it's very definitely winter. <laughs> like the biggest snow that has happened all winter is happening now. But to be here and to plug back into, I got here and it was kind of raining and cold and I've been here for three days or whatever. Today's the first real sunny day. It's still kind of chilly. But to walk around and to smell, you know, it's such a pleasure. I love it. And we don't get that in the middle, in the midst of winter in the northern part of the, you know, in the northern hemisphere. When it's when the snow's laying down, you just don't smell it because everything's dormant. And then. I come here and I'm like, I just walked around and the, you know, two days ago, it was just kind of raining and misty. And I just walked around and, and just, you know, was breathing because it feels so good. So I totally, I completely understand what you're saying about, you know, come March when the sun starts to get a little higher and the warmth starts to come and get excited about growing. I can completely understand that. I can't imagine that summer is going to get here be before I come by and see you guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something tells me I'm just going to come swinging by and be like, hey, I can sleep in my van. I don't need much. I just want to say hi and see how you're doing and see what I can do. Yeah, you're welcome anytime. And it's funny you mentioned that the smells and just the feeling in the air of growth. We were able to visit. There's a farm across the street, a permaculture farm. And we visited them a couple of times last week. And Part of our little tour and learning opportunity was in their greenhouse where they're growing bananas and papayas uh, right now in Hamilton. 
you walk in and it it was that same experience. It was like just an instant uplift and an instant like, oh, it just feels so good. And there's humidity, there's moisture, there's uh, that's just amazing. I think I think Mike had told me about your neighbor some time ago. So let's talk a little bit about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about permaculture. I was talking to my buddy Glenn here about it this morning. Well, that's really permanent culture, right? How can we be sustainable? And so I, I imagine, and I don't want to get ahead of myself or put anything on you, but I imagine that there's a some kind of energy production or capture, whether that be solar or wind, or I'm curious like what that might look like down the line for you guys. Is that I don't have to say, is that part of the plan? I'm curious what that might look like. Yeah. Um, you know, permaculture, what was really cool about taking this permaculture course that we did was that it it opened our eyes so much further than just growing food and taking care of the soil. It was we were looking at seven different elements. So one being food, there was energy, shelter, community, and economy. And so you're you're taking into account, you know, all these different pieces of life. And when it comes to energy, we're trying to ultimately become more self-sufficient. We're trying to produce less pollution. We're trying to use renewable resources. We want to provide for, you know, the term we use, seven generations to come, not just tomorrow, but our kids, kids, you know, kids, kids, kids. And so what we're doing right now is even just beginning by finding out like what do we have here to work with? How can we make the energy systems that already exist more efficient? And then with new future builds, how can we design our structures? How can we design our flow to maximize the use of sun, to reduce the use of water, to reduce the use of fossil fuels, things like that. So the short term, it's like, let's just be more intentional about turning off the lights. Let's be more intentional about water use. Like there are many things we can all do without having to revamp our whole system or our whole structure to help improve the system, to help reduce pollution. And so we're beginning there, but we will be adding solar panels to existing structures. We will be designing for passive solar with future homes that we you know, are planning to build or barns that we're planning to build or the farmhouse that we have in mind where it will be the interface with the community, with the, a storefront and, you know, commercial kitchen space. So also capturing what water we can, utilizing gray water systems, even a talk about composting toilets on the property at some point. So it's definitely a shift from maybe some of the comforts and conveniences that we're used to, to, hey, we can, we can go about this in a different way so that hopefully we have this land to take care of down the road. We're not, I mean, honestly, I think that we're facing some very important decisions as a species of how we want to go about living. Because I do think that if we don't make some major changes now, we are facing extinction, you know, not long down the road because we just don't have the resources. We don't have the topsoil. We don't have the fossil fuels to provide for many more generations. Mm. Sobering. 
by the same token, really, what's the word I'm looking for? Well, partly motivating, partly, you know, what you're doing and the things that you're talking about and the being open to all possibilities is, you know, it's invigorating. It's, it's um, enthralling. It, it's all of it really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we've lived a life of excess. We have experienced that ourselves and it's not all it's cracked up to be. And, you know, living a different way, more in tuned to what we can do for preservation for permanence is actually much more rewarding. And so I, you know, want to just share that and, and help people understand that, like, the conveniences, like, we've known them, we've lived them, we've experienced them, and it's time to try something different because I, I think it's a necessity. I think it could be a really fun way of doing things. I think that if, you know, again, it's back to that mindset shift. Can we create a different system? You know, permaculture is about looking at natural systems. It's about looking at alternatives. It's about what can we repurpose? What can we reuse rather than always running to the store to consume? As we decide on this property to take down certain structures that need updating, like we're going to be looking at what materials can be repurposed. We're going to be looking at how can we how can we work with what we have so that we're not just unnecessarily filling up the landfill? How can we just shift and move things around so that they function better and that we're utilizing natural renewable sources, resources better? I think a lot of people that are listening, I, I'm guessing here, but you know, I know lots of the people who listen to this podcast and many I don't. So I'm, I'm grateful for all of you that I don't know. And I'm grateful for all that I do know. As I said earlier, and we've both acknowledged, you've acknowledged that, you know, not everybody has the opportunity to, you know, go and pick up and well, opportunity and, and the chutzpah, right? The guts yeah. the, to make a big change, like a big change. I know where you lived. I feel like I'm familiar and what a big change for all, you know, like, so fantastic. And then I think all the way along here, I'm thinking, okay, and you just brought it around to the people who are listening, who are in various parts of the country or in the world, and the things that we can do. So a couple of things that you've mentioned just in the past five minutes, one, we can turn the lights off, we can be more attentive to turning the lights off, right? Burning less coal, to generate the electricity so we can keep our lights on, right? Way back in the beginning about, you know, tuning into the the natural cycle. You get up about a half an hour before day, you know, before the sun comes up and and kind of have the work done by the time the sun goes down. And oh, lo and behold, we're using less lights in the at night, right? And we get more tuned into the natural rhythm of, you know, mother nature. And then I was thinking about you know, we can all do this and, and and it doesn't really matter where you live. I know that I still live, I li- still live in Park City. I had a big compost pile. I was a big composter when we lived across the street from each other. And, and at one point I was gathering food scraps from the neighbors and composting and giving them back the good stuff once it was composted. It was a big project for one guy, but I, I enjoyed doing it. And then I became familiar with an outfit in Park City that is curbside composting, you know, for like $19 a month. 
they'll pick up your compostable materials and they'll go compost it for you. And when you need some soil to do some growing, they'll bring you that. And I think that's happening in a lot of parts of the world. So I guess I would, I would encourage listeners to think in terms of what can I do? What are some of the things that I, that I just don't pay that much attention to where I could trim back on some of my energy consumption? I could seek out, you know, community composting that's probably happening in, you know, many, many communities around the, around the country so that we're not putting our food scraps into the, the landfill and creating methane gas and all the things that that does. So I think that there are plenty of things to learn. And there you are at, like out on the, you're, you're out in the Bitterroot Valley. And I'd love to keep things open so that we can, you know, revisit as things progress and what have you learned? And, and then what can we share with, with people who are, you know, in some other part of the world where, you know, look, I'm not living on a farm. I'm living in my house in, in suburbia or in an apartment or a condo or whatever. And what can you do? Yeah. Even some other examples that I have to share from our experience here is, you know, simple things like we had um, on one of the beds, we had a hole in our sheets. And in the past, I would have just gotten rid of those sheets and purchased new sheets when the reality was, is it took me five minutes to go and use my sewing machine to just sew up that little hole, right? And still reuse the sheets. Or another example is um, we have the, this house that we're in currently on the property was built in the late eighties. Um, which it has some unique features, pretty fun, but the blinds are very 80s and they have um, the bottom, these little metal plates that weight them down. And some of them had been kind of ripped apart and they weren't moving up and down smoothly. And it's like, oh, I can easily fix this. And so I just got out a couple craft materials and and fixed them, no problem. Whereas again, in the past, we were just taking out all the blinds and bought new blinds and replaced them. Or um, even, you know, Mike was using a chainsaw the other day and it was gummed up with old gas. And so the boys decided to, they wanted to try out this new cross-cut handsaw to get the job done. And so they used that and figured later on, we can look at, can we drain that gasoline and just refuel it and bring that chainsaw back to life and just temporarily have the experience of using a handsaw. So they did that. And then again, brought the chainsaw back to life rather than throwing out the chainsaw and going and buying a new fancier tool in order to, in the moment, get the job done quicker. So those are a few examples, you know, where it, we really are capable of doing so much more on our own, being more resourceful. And many of us can make more resourceful choices day to day than we probably do. Agreed. There are a lot of really cool messages here through the conversation, Shannon, and I appreciate all of it. And I appreciate your time and the and what you're doing. Fascinated by it, thrilled that you're doing it. And then, you know, the things that we can talk about that that people can implement if they so choose, right? One of the things about the podcast is like, look, you know, we're not, I'm not throwing it out at anybody that as a have to. Right. We can all make our own decisions and choices, but but if we can learn from each other and listen with the intent to understand and then 
have the possibility. And I've always just hoped that people would go, oh, that's interesting. I guess I could, I guess I could go and, and research that a little bit or learn a little bit more about that if they hear something on the podcast. And, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me, and I did this not long ago, I was actually walking into one of my favorite stores in Park City, Fairweather Foods, and I saw the the, the curbside curbside composting on a you know a, a flyer that was there at the front of the front of the, the store and i suspect that we could research that in almost any town and imagine the amount of vegetables and fruits and peels and things like that that go into the garbage or into the disposal that could go and and be composted and come back as as just you know wonderful soil that you can grow almost anything in Certainly one of the takeaways, but there are, and there are many <laughs> from this conversation, Shannon. Wow. I'm thrilled. I, I don't know what, where else to go. And it usually happens where I get to a point where I'm just like, wow, that, that tells the story right there and gives people something to chew on all the way through. You sure have. So is there anything else you'd like to share that, that you feel like I haven't, we haven't touched on? Um, no, I mean, I think it's been a great conversation. Um, you know, I think that to your point of what people can take away from it with where they're at, I think the phase of life really does determine some of that. And so I would say just stay open-minded, um, you know, think about what resonates with you right now and um, try and make, you know, a couple couple little adjustments and, it, you know, it might lead you down a new path. Thank you for that. Not to continue on too far, but you did shut down your social media platforms and that's a whole nother conversation, but you're communicating outwardly with the world through your newsletter, through Primal Peak. Is that accurate? That is accurate. So um, I did shut down social media, you know, a little bit more as a statement of, can we find a better way to communicate? I think social media, like you said, it's a whole nother topic, but there are a lot of great things about it. And I think it can be used very successfully and very positively. But I wanted the challenge too of can I have a little bit more control over just the audience and where my content goes? And so I'm trying to use primalpeak.com for sharing my ideas, sharing our story, sharing the journey that we're on, and you know, still give tidbits and ideas on real food for real families. And then I also have, you can sign up for my weekly newsletter on primalpeak.com. And there I try and give some farm updates and let everybody know when there's new content on the blog. Perfect. That's what I was hoping to get to right there was, how do we keep up with what the Doliacs are up to? And that'll do it, right? Primalpeak.com. And you can sign up for the newsletter. And it's just, I mean, you're an incredibly eloquent writer and speaker and highly motivated. I will share with you, and I don't know where this will go, whether it stays in the podcast or not, but I have a project that I'm working on that at this point, most of my listeners know, which is conversations with independent, capable women, strong, independent, capable women. And the episode that's out here in the middle of February is with an 82-year-old woman that I that I talked to a couple couple of weeks ago who's an author and a, and a self-proclaimed feminist and you know just strong strong you fall right into that category shannon you, to pick up i know that mike's an, a fantastic guy and the boys are fantastic and there you are you know mom and wife and in and of yourself just you know a badass strong capable independent woman so you know keep up the great work and 
I look forward to following along and coming and visiting and keeping up with what's going on. Oh, well, thank you, Jeff. And we can't wait to see you here on the farm one of these days soon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, maybe, you know, who knows? If I figure out that this elevation thing is an issue in my life with this pneumonia, I'll be, I'll be tromping around in lower elevations. But um, I will stay in touch. And thank you so much for, for joining me again on ATBS, the podcast. And I look forward to more in the future. Please say hello to Mike and Taylor. Will do, for sure. All right. Take care, Jeff. Thanks for listening to ATBS The Podcast and this episode with Shannon Doliak. I encourage you to follow along as the Doliak family's farmsteading adventure unfolds. Go to primalpeak.com and sign up for her newsletter. That's where Shannon shares weekly observations, plans, and progress on the farm. And if you like what you're hearing on ATBS, please consider becoming a patron. Peace.